Good morning. Uh, This morning's scripture reading is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. That's Mark 10, 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. Just when you hoped you'd seen the last of me. <laughs> the morning of disappointing you. I'm just kidding. One thing that I, 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 I did slip my mind because of the, well, just uh, how excited I was about the baptism was that I forgot to uh, congratulate Jean and Debbie on uh, their new granddaughter uh, was just born last Sunday. So it's very exciting. So if you're on Facebook, I'm sure there will be lots of pictures uh, to, uh, to see. So congrats, and obviously congrats even more to Andrea and, and Rick. So that's just beautiful. Our one desire and choice should be what is more conductive to the end for which we are created. In the early 16th century, there was a young man named Inigo Lopez de Oñas y Loyola who later changed, thankfully for me, changed his name to Ignatius of Loyola. I can can say that one, almost. He was a child of nobility. He was raised to be a nobleman and a courtier in Spain. Ignatius was driven by a desire for fame and for wealth. He was known for things like dancing, like, you know, all people whose desire for fame and wealth. I guess in a TikTok age, I guess that is true. People who desire fame and wealth uh, are known for dancing, dueling, gambling, fashion, and of course being a ladies' man. He was vain, he was attractive and strong and ambitious. He was a 16th century Kardashian. (laughs) And his desires had been instilled in him not only from this culture of nobility, but also from reading tales of chivalry. Valiant knights impressing women of nobility with their honor and their manners, which I think is funny, but that was a key thing, like how attractive, you know, is based on how many manners you have. Fighting skills and, of course, his noble breeding. So, you know, think Disney Prince, uh, pre uh, when Disney started to have people besides just the, 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 the wedding theme. These were his heroes. These were his aspirations. 
Then, during an attack on a fortress that he was in, a cannonball ricocheted off a wall and hit him. It shattered his leg. The first operation on his leg didn't go too well. And of course, being a vain ladies' man that he was, he was concerned how, poorly, how his poorly set leg would look in tights. <laughs> Seriously, like he actually then went through months of grueling surgery so that his leg would look nice and tight. This is, you know, concern I have, you know, every summer when short season comes and my pasty white chicken legs come out into the public, I, you know, have these big concerns. Anyway, I don't actually, but... So he goes under these gruesome surgeries for several months of recuperation and pain, all for his vanity. And bedridden, all he could do was read, but his home didn't have any of his usual books of chivalry and knighthood. Instead, they just had these storybooks about these boring saints, the boring, dull lives of saints. But he was bored, so he started reading. And these dull saints' lives sank deep into his heart, and it stirred in him a new desire that he had never known, to become like these saints and to serve God. And Ignatius, the desire raised up within him, I could do that. This is what I desire. And so over the following years, his life turned from vanity and fame and wealth to eventually founding the religious order called the Society of Jesus, or the Jesuits. God took these desires that were in him, but were on the wrong things. And it took cannonball. But these desires were reshaped. And he had this significant impact on, on history with the spirituality that uh, came through uh, the Jesuits. In the words of James Martin, and uh, he's a Jesuit priest and an author of the book, uh, The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything. So if you're interested, if anything uh, that we talk about today speaks interest to you, we have actually two copies of it in the library, um, partially because I think someone took one for a long time. Karen replaced it. Anyway, it's a great book. I encourage you to check it out. But as he writes... The Jesuits were contemplatives in action, leading others to find God in all things. And one aspect of our humanity that finds a central place in Ignatius' contemplation in action happens to be our focus for today. Hence, I'm talking about him so much. How to find God in our desires. Or perhaps more, how to find our desires in God. Uh, Holy Spirit, I invite you uh, to move uh, in our hearts this morning, in our minds, our bodies, and our souls, that you would be worshipped and that we would see and hear what you desire for us this morning. As many of you know, uh, we are currently in a series looking at the ways that God has created us to be beautiful and complex, fearfully, wonderfully made, unique image of God-bearers who are God's gift to each other, to creation, and to the world. And many of us are comfortable talking about the other things we've been talking about, our personalities and our abilities and spiritual gifts. But an intrinsic part of who we are that is God-given image-bearing is something we are uncomfortable talking about in church, and that is desire. I think there are many reasons of this. 
Most predominantly, we tend to equate the word desire with sexual desire or material desire, but in a prudish, dualistic way that assumes that all sexual desire is unholy, or even though at the root of our sexuality is the God-given gift not only of reproduction, but of relationality and connectedness with our beloved, as well as the gift of pleasure. Most of us, I hope, would say that when enacted in a godly mutual love that our sexuality is a gift of God, yet when we hear the word desire in the church, our default thoughts go to assume that it means something that is perverted or twisted or it has a complete absence of God. And a big part of this, of course, is the way that we tend to read Scripture, which is oftentimes the way that we've been handed how to read Scripture. And this is strongly influenced, of course, by the ways that have, the Scriptures have also been interpreted for us in English, in our English translation. In the New Testament's original language of the first century Greek, there are a few words which means desire. They mean to want or to long for, to wish for, to desire, to be eager for. However, in our English Bibles, these same words get translated into different English words depending on the context. And of course, the context, they're, they're done that way to try to help us understand, okay, this is supposed to be bad and this is supposed to be good. But what happens is, is every time we see desire, it tends to be bad. And when we see eager or long, it's good. And so we misunderstand that the same theme of desire is good and bad, depending on its root and where it leads us. For example, the same words that paint a picture of desire of a sinful, destructive perspective is in places like Colossians 3.5. It says, Put to death whatever is in you that is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. And here, the word desire, actually, they had specified it's evil desire. It isn't just desire, it's evil desire. Or 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh. The same word, sometimes translated as lust. Ephesians 4.22, you were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts. But the word for these negative desires and lusts, which is where Western prudish Christianity has tended to focus on, is the same word in 1 Thessalonians 2.17 that says, we longed with great eagerness, with great desire to see you face to face. Imagine if our translator said, we longed with great lust to see you face to face. That completely changes the meaning. But it's the exact same word. We have longed with great desire to see you face to face. Or Luke twenty two fifteen that I read for communion. I've eagerly desired, I've desiredly desired to eat Passover with you before I suffer. Even translators were uncomfortable using the word desire in a positive way. And that's because they've inherited language in the same way that we've inherited language. And so it gets changed to words like eagerness. Which I think is unfair to help us to have a biblical understanding of desire. Jesus says he desires mercy. He doesn't lust after mercy. Jesus desires mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus desires to gather the children of Israel together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. 
How is that for a beautiful picture of desire? Jesus desired that those who the Father gave him would be with him. In Hebrews, the author tells us that they desire to act honorably in all things. And I think very helpful for us today, the letter of Galatians 5, 16, 17, Paul writes, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now just as a side note to help you when you're reading your Bible on your own, this word flesh can be complicated too. In this context, it means the negative ways, uh, the negative ways of the world. Negative cravings and, and things of, our, of the world. But sometimes the word flesh simply is descriptive of the material substance of the human body. These meat sacks that we walk around in, right? Sometimes the word flesh just means who we are. And so we need to see the context. Is this a negative flesh or a positive flesh? We can't always assume it's negative because it isn't. Anyway, so that's just an added bonus. So again, Galatians 5, 17, the flesh, so get this point, he's talking about a negative flesh. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. So yes, the broken, rebellious, twisted, and sinful parts of our humanity desires unhealthy things. And see, we see lists, like in a few verses later in Galatians, of things that are contrary to the Holy Spirit, of these uh, unhealthy desires, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, hatred, jealousy, rage, envy, and on and on. But it isn't just the fallen part of us that has desire. It is also the Holy Spirit in us that has desire. The Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. The Spirit has desire for us. And the spirit desiring what is contrary to the flesh doesn't just desire it, but the spirit bears this in us as fruit. And again, we see the fruit of these desires, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this is just one list of many in scriptures. But if we weren't so obsessed with the negative ways our desires get twisted and tainted, we would see that there's a lot of beautiful desire in the scriptures. And so similar to any parts of our humanity, desire at its deepest comes from God as a part of our being made in God's image. And so we not need to fear desire, we simply need to redeem desire. Perhaps it helps to think it this way. So picture perhaps desire as a seed that God has planted deep within you. So in the seed's essence, it is beautiful. It contains all that is needed to germinate beautifully the life of God's character and heart within the unique soil of your being. So it will grow differently than that seed grows in anyone else. But as the seed grows, the soil gets contaminated by the pollution of hedonism and selfishness and consumerism that is all in the air all around us. And the light that the seed needs to grow and be fruitful is blocked by walls and monuments of systems and structures and politics that take away this hopeful energy for change and human flourishing and instead cause us to focus on self-protection and dividing us from one another. 
And so while the seed of God, our God-given desires remains deep within us, parts of what has grown becomes twisted and corrupted, decays. It becomes infested with mites. Sometimes just a little, but sometimes so much that the desires we see is unrecognizable from the seed that God had planted. So for example, think about the God-given desire for belonging. The desire to be deeply known, to be accepted, to be loved. This is a desire from God. I mean, God desires to be known and loved. So it's a reflection of God's own heart to desire for belonging. And to desire, God's desire for us is to know that we are known and loved and to live out that belovedness in the world. Yet this God-given desire gets polluted by things like, you know, you need to behave a certain way or wear certain clothes or you need to have certain things. And so we listen to these voices, oftentimes subconsciously, and we pursue the desire to be accepted, but by doing whatever think we think might help us be accepted. Like pretending to be different than we are, doing things we know that are wrong in order to gain approval from whatever group we want to be accepted by, buying stuff that we think that will get, get people's attention. Another desire is justice. We want to see justice. We want to see those on the bottom being cared for. But sometimes that desire gets twisted into violence. Where those seeking justice become unjust. In his book, Do I Stay Christian? Brian, and by the way, the answer to that, well, for me was yes. It's a really good book, actually. Gives you pictures of, here's reasons to not stay Christian. And here's reasons to stay Christian. Christian. I, I actually, anyway, it's, it was a challenge to me, um, but I'm, I should, anyway, I'm not actually suggesting you go read it unless you are, anyway, whatever. <laughs> you're not supposed to quote from books that you're not willingly say, please go out and buy it, but I am. Unless you're intentional about shaping your desires, this is Brian McLaren, unless you're intentional about shaping your desires, others will do so for you. Humans are hardwired to imitate desires of our neighbors. We catch their desires like we catch our native language or a virus. In addition, every day, powerful people spend billions of dollars seeking to mold our desires so we will help them achieve their desires through fields of marketing and politics as well as religion. The only way that Jeff Bezos can afford to build a rocket ship and fly into space is because so many of us bought into this twisted desire that we needed to have more stuff. And we needed to have more options for more stuff. And we need to be able to get that more stuff with even less effort than before. Even while we know that to make this choice creates more waste and the cost of the livelihood of our neighbors who own shops, at the cost of Amazon workers who work under deplorable conditions, but we buy into it and so we buy. And it comes to our home in less than 24 hours can you imagine if in the story that Garth read for us, if Jesus asks the blind man, what, what do you desire? If Bartimaeus said, I desire my food delivered right to my door. Or I desire the latest communication device, the iPapyrus 14 Pro Max. When we are aware or unintentional, our desires are shaped for us by the pollutants that are in the air that we breathe. And often that happens in a way that goes even against our deepest longings and even our values, but it's subtly enough that we don't even perceive it. 
What we need, like Bartimaeus, is we need to name our desires in Christ's presence. And until we name our desires and call them into the light of Christ, they can remain in darkness. They can continue to pull the strings of our self-control from the shadows, causing us to do what we don't want to do and to be who we don't want to be. Another way that our desires are shaped externally by voices of the world are when we're told that we can have or be anything that we desire. As if desire is the only factor. But even our holy desires need to be tested in the Spirit's presence. As Martin writes, Just because I desire to be an opera singer doesn't mean that I can be one, especially if I can't sing. Being told that whatever we desire we can be is a lie because it keeps us from pursuing who we truly are and pursuing something that we think would be better for us. But even if you have a lack of abilities in operatic singing, well, say for me, I say I have this desire for opera, but I lack the ability for operatic singing but I feel like this desire for opera is God-given, perhaps there are places where I do have ability. Perhaps it's in administration or ticket sales or, or marketing or whatever. I don't know the opera industry, but there's got to be a bazillion jobs in it. We need to test our desires with what Ignatius calls the reality of the situation. And the reality of the situation is how has God made you not just the desires, but your abilities and your spiritual gifts, the intersectionality of all of who you are how do your desires speak to that and lead you more into the person that God has been, called you to be? The work of intentionally shaping our desires, of course, can only happen with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Bearing this fruit and calling forth the divine image, bearing seeds of our desire. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to quiet the noise of all of our misguided desires, to still the turbulent waters of our hearts, so that when the waters are stilled and the silt and the muck sinks to the bottom, that we can see clearly where our desires are rooted in God, where we can see what rises to the top in the Holy Spirit's leading. Again, James Martin writes, Desire is a key way God speaks to us. Holy desires are different than surface wants, like I want a new car, I want a new computer. Instead, I'm talking about our deepest desires, the one that shape our lives. Desires that help us know who we are to become and what we are to do. Our deep desires help us know God's desires for us and how much God desires to be with us. And God, I believe, encourages us to notice and to name these desires in the same way that Jesus encouraged Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, to articulate his desire. What do you want me to do for you? What do you desire? Recognizing our desires means recognizing God's desires for us. The deepest longings of our hearts our holy desires, not only desires for physical healing, as Bartimaeus asked for, and as many asked for today, but also the desires for change, for growth, for a fuller life. Our deepest desires, those desires that lead us to become who we are, are God's desires for us. 
There are ways that God speaks to you directly. One way that, as Ignatius says, the creator deals with the creature. They're also the way that God fulfills God's own dreams for the world by calling people to certain tasks. Your desires are the way that God fulfills God's own dreams in the world. And this is done through the Spirit in you and through you. But to live out these desires, pure and holy desires God has planted on, uh, in you, you need to make space for the Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals the true condition of the heart by allowing one to see the desires for what they really are and what they really move one towards. Which means paying attention to where our desires are leading us. Do they lead us towards the good of one another? towards the good of creation, towards the good of our well-being, or are they disordered and leading us away from good? In the book Shape, uh, the author Eric Rees writes that the key to discover, the key is to discover the cravings the creator has put in you. Often they lie deep within your spirit and you've never before taken the time or effort to identify them, but listen to the whispers of secret prayers and desires, the deep yearnings in your life. So I encourage you this week to take time to listen. Ask God to reveal to you the difference between shallow wants and deep desires. Sometimes we can see these by looking back on our lives to see the places where you've been drawn time and time again. Sometimes it's to look ahead and to imagine where you long to be. Or as Ignatius says, imagine yourself on your deathbed or before God. Where do you desire life would have taken you? Like Ignatius, there are also stories of faithful people who have gone before us, whether ages ago or alive today. People whose stories can stir up this holy desire within us and help us to go, yes, I could do that. This is what my heart desires. Some of us know, I took, sorry, I took, like St. Ignatius, there are, uh, these stories, and but for him, it took a literal, literal cannonball to sh- shatter the hold that his vain desires held over him, and if to force him into necessary silence to hear God's voice stirring up from within him the truest and deepest desires of our of his heart. Let's not need a literal cannonball. <laughs> Let's make that space for God now. Some of us know the desires that God has placed in us. Some of us will need God to send perhaps a metaphorical cannonball to shatter the hold that worldly desires have on us so that we can know these holy desires that God has placed in us. But regardless, it is important for all of us to name our desires in the presence of Christ. I encourage you to take some time today or this week to sit in quiet and stillness to still the noises and the pollution in the air around us, the voices that are seeking to shape your desire for you. Picture yourself calling out to Jesus from a noisy crowd and imagine that Jesus, hearing hearing your voice, turns to you, giving you his full, compassionate attention. He asks you, what do you desire? And as things come to mind, ask Jesus about what direction your desires will take you. 
Here are some, uh, some great questions that I found really helpful for me in doing this as a spiritual exercise. And this is from a book called The Spiritual Exercises Reclaimed, Uncovering Liberating Possibilities for Women by Catherine uh, Dykeman, Mary Garvin, and Elizabeth Labert. And I found this is a beautiful book. Uh, it's reclaiming the male-centric culture in which Ignatius wrote his exercises. It's reclaiming them uh, for women, but I think it's reclaiming them for all of us in a non-male-centric society and faith. Anyway. So these are the questions that they, they give us. Is what I desire an object to be possessed or a subject with which to be in communion? I think very question, very quickly that question will answer for us. Are these from, are these godly or are these not, this desire not something that God wants me to pursue? Is, there, is what I desire an object, something I want to possess and own? Or is it a subject with which to be in communion? Do my desires close me in on myself or do they open me out to others? Do my desires activate my deep generosity toward all that God might reveal? What might be a small step toward these, whole, these desires? Committing to praying about it every day for a period of time. Asking the Holy Spirit to reveal if it's a holy desire from God. Talking to someone that you trust about it. God longs for us to know the desires of divine love that are placed in us. As seeds of the kingdom. That they may be purified in the light of Christ. And that we would live, live as the holy gifts to the world that God has created us to be. Let's pray. God, our des greatest desire is that we would desire what you desire. We long to know who you are and how you have created us to be a gift to creation to one another and to you. Reveal the desires to, uh, that you have placed within us. Consecrate the desires that have been desecrated by the lies of the world and the sinfulness of our hearts. Consecrate them. Make them pure so that they may be cleaned and purified by your Holy Spirit. Sending us out, reflecting and enacting Desires that you have for our communities and for the world. We pray this in the name of the one who calls out to us from amongst the crowd asking, what do you desire? Amen.